can do is what? Rejoice. So let's just do that. Let everybody stand up. Let's just give a shout of praise to the Lord, okay? Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Glory, glory, glory! Hallelujah! There we go. You may be seated. Our bishops are out and about doing their father's business, so let's just extend our hands towards the cross. Father, thank you. Thank you for our overseers. Father, thank you that even as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Father, we can look to them and knowing that they are following you in their steps, in their daily walk, in their daily devotions, in their relationship with each other, with their relationship with, each, uh, with other people. Father, we thank you that they are always out and about doing their, their father's business. So Lord, we thank you that even this morning, as they are preaching, as they are teaching, that signs and wonders follow, that there is a hedge of protection around them, the blood of Jesus is upon them. Father, we thank you that there is a boldness coming in, their wor in the word that goes forth. And we thank you, Father, that praise is being given, not only in their congregation, not only in this congregation, but, Father, in congregations throughout this world. So, Father, receive that which is due your holy name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, it's that time. Some of you are waiting for it. Some of you are waiting for it. Some are not. <laughs> Some of you are saying, oh my. So say with me, a priest. A priest. A minister. A minister. And a rabbi. And a rabbi. Keep that in mind, okay? A priest, a minister, and a rabbi went to see, wanted to see who was best at their job. So they agreed that each one would go into the woods, find a bear, and attempt to convert it. Later they got together in the rabbi's home, and they were shocked to see him. The priest looked at the minister and said, Well, I found a bear. Uh, excuse me. When I found a bear, I read to him the catechism and sprinkled him with, with holy water. Next week is his first communion. The minister looked, excuse me, the minister looked at the priest and said, Well, I found a bear by the stream and preached God's holy word to him. The bear was so mesmerized that he let me baptize him. They both looked down at the rabbi, who was lying on a gurney in a body cast. The rabbi stared up at the two and said, Well, looking back, maybe I should not have started with circumcision. <laughs> me a change, a change in direction. Say it again, a change in direction. A change in direction. The title of our message this morning is a change in direction. How many know as Christians we always want to be open to God's changing in our lives, amen? Amen. We want to know his direction and how many know that oftentimes God's direction, his change that comes in our life is not convenient for us. 
Amen? How many can say, oh my, to that? Oh my. Okay, we've all been there. Yeah. It's our human nature to want to know everything. The plans, the purpose. How many, how many have had that little nudge from God and, and you think, well, God, what about this? And what about this? And, and you want to know the big picture. How many mm -hmm. are like that? Mm -hmm. Right? All I think we're all like that to, to some degree. Right? <clears throat> so say this with me. My flesh... My flesh likes to know likes to know the comfort of knowing the comfort of knowing how many know though God's divine providence snap your fingers will change in a moment's notice man how many of you experienced that right you've been going one way and all of a sudden and God throws a 90 degree curve at you you feel a nudge from the Holy Spirit to go a particular way. You hear him say, you know, go, go this way or do this or do that. And, and what happens for most of us is we get uncomfortable, right? You get nervous. You're thinking, well, what's God doing? Why does he want to change something that I already have pre-planned? I already have pre predestined, you might want to say. How many would say, well, God, I already know your plan. Why are you taking me this way? And we have no idea of the why of God. Amen? We just get that nudge. So in God's universe, you can call this a divine shift. Say divine shift. Divine shift. It's a change in direction. It's a supernatural move that God wants us to make from one place to another. For example, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, the Lord's speaking to Moses and he says, You have skirted the mountain long enough. Turn northward. Say turn northward. Turn northward. So God has watched the Israelites moving through the wilderness, uh, along the, around the border of the promised land. And, and he finally says, you know what? Enough is enough. Turn northward. Let's get going here. He wants them to do what? Change direction. Amen? Yeah. So there are times when this divine shift will take us in a direction that makes no sense to us. And we ask, God, why would you want me to do that? Why would you want me to take that route? Or as you Americans would say, that route. <laughs> so to bring some clarity into this picture, we're going to focus on the life of Philip the Evangelist in Acts chapters 6 through Acts 8. So to lay a groundwork here, we want to be sure that don't be confusing Philip the Evangelist with Philip the Apostle, who was one of the 12. Philip the Evangelist was one of the chosen seven to minister to the poor in the Christian community in Jerusalem. So I want you to think about this. I want to set the stage here, okay? Philip is in this position of serving. He's comfortable. He knows his role. Mm -hmm. He's esteemed by the church, right? Everyone is, hey, there goes Philip. Hey, Philip, how you doing, buddy? You know, you got something for me? He's well known. He's popular. He's secure. How many would agree that he would have felt that he was doing God's will? Amen? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he would have been saying, this is what God has for me. And how many of you and I can say the same thing? That we're in our comfortable lives, we're moving forward, we're doing things for God, and we can say, this is what God has for me. Amen? How many of you are in that place of being comfortable and, and knowing God's will? Can you put up your hand, anybody out there? Yep. Okay. So 
this comfort, this knowing, you know, this, this security comes. So Philip's in this position of serving the church for certainly months and possibly years. We don't know for sure. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And Paul, excuse me, Saul approved of their killing him, him being Stephen, the first martyr of the church. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all, say all, all, all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So understand this, that Philip is one of those who was scattered. So say with me, a change in direction. A change in direction. So once again, Philip is comfortable, he's in a popular position, and now he's thrown out. How rude. How rude of God just to pick him up and toss him out there. And you know what? If we were in Philip's position, we'd be binding demons. We'd be casting them out. We'd be rebuking this and that. And you know what else we'd be doing? We'd be complaining to our neighbor and our friend and saying, well, look at what the enemy's doing. Look at where he shoved me. Amen? We'd be talking to anybody who would listen about how uncomfortable we are. So we're going to give you seven short lessons. If, so if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, lesson number one, what the enemy means for evil, God will use for good. Amen. What the enemy means for evil, God will use for good. Amen. So when something happens to cause us to change direction, when we get interrupted, right, on the path that we're on, especially if it doesn't fit, with the plans that we've got in our mind, it's usually pretty uncomfortable for us, isn't it? A lot of us get fearful. Sometimes we think, what in the world is going on? Uh, we try to get back on track most of the time. And what we need to do is step back and take a breath and look at the bigger picture. And we need to ask God, what are you doing and what do you need from me? Mm -hmm. You know, I have this little phrase that's become very familiar between me and the Holy Spirit, and that's, wait a minute. <laughs> that's what I say. Wait a minute. What's going on here? What are you up to? Because I was on this course. I fully believe that it was God at the time. Amen. I know what I'm doing. I'm jamming. I'm comfortable. And all of a sudden... All kinds of things are going awry, and you get kind of off kilter, and you get confused, and sometimes you get frustrated, and when that starts to happen, I've learned to say, okay, wait a minute. What's going on, Holy Spirit? Are you up to something here, God? Are you changing directions? Do you need me to listen to you and pay attention? Are we, are we doing something else now? And I have to get with the Holy Spirit and find out what he needs of me. That persecution at, at Jerusalem catapulted witnesses out, amen, to begin to share the gospel. It says in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, the gospel was spread because of that scattering. So my question to you this morning is, are you in the middle of a, a weird place, a testing, a trial? Are you feeling uncomfortable? Are things not working the way they were? Are things kind of off kilter and out of balance? If so, it's important for us to discern if it's the enemy getting busy to try to kill, steal, and destroy, or is it God changing our direction? Sometimes that's hard for us to discern. You know, at Evangel, we're very well-versed in spiritual warfare, aren't we? If I were to say, how many of you know your authority? How many of you know that the blood, the word, and the name makes the enemy's knee bow? You know, we know all about spiritual warfare, right? But we need to be well-versed 
as well in submission to God. And so we're very quick to go after the enemy and to assume the devil's just messing with our plans and trying to bring in a hindrance. But we need to be quicker to say, God, what are you doing and what do you need me to do? That should actually be the first response. Then we can start rebuking the enemy later, right? Do you want to share, hon, about some ways that we know and we can discern if God's changing direction? Yeah, let's uh, just take a short segue here. I want you to write these down if you're taking notes, okay? Three ways we can know God's taking us in a new direction is, number one, there's a disrupting of our plans. So say disrupting of our plans. We see this in Acts chapter uh, 16 where uh, Paul and his entourage is going a particular direction. And it says at the end, it says, but the spirit did not allow them. They hit a wall. Mm -hmm. So they weren't allowed to go in that direction. Number two, dissipating of our resources. Say dissipating with our resources. Dissipating of our resources. Okay. This happened to Elijah. Right? He's being fed by the brook, <coughs> being fed by the, excuse me, water through the brook and uh, <clears throat> being fed by the birds. And all of a sudden, what happens? They stop. Yep. Okay? And here's a big one for all of us and, and a hard one for us, too. How about dissolving relationships? Dissolving relationships. A lot of examples of this, but one of a, a good one is in the life of David with King Achish. And this is in... Um, First uh, Samuel, I think it's 16. They have a relationship going on, and all of a sudden it just gets broken. You know, he says, these people aren't pleased with you, so now go your own way. So God has ways of very definitively getting us to change directions. Amen. And you know, the king even said to David, you're an honorable man. I can't find any fault with you. They just don't like you and they're not going to honor you, so we can't hang out anymore. And so you can imagine, you know, David could have gotten distressed, he could have gotten upset, taken it personally, but he thought, you know what, God, my life is in your hands, there's no offense here, so it's time to change directions, right? And that's where that peace comes from. You know, invariably, there's going to come a time in all of our lives when God needs us to respond to him and to change directions. Now, I believe the Holy Spirit hopes that we'll respond and that we'll listen, Mm -hmm. but I've learned that most of the time, We don't cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We miss that it's the Holy Spirit, right? And so God has to intervene right in the matters of our life in order to get our attention, make us uncomfortable, and help us to know that it's him trying to push us in a different direction. How many of you would agree? It's unfortunate, right? But we still have a tendency to kind of stick to where we're at and not be so willing to move. So lesson number two is no matter where we are, we have the opportunity to share the gospel. So no matter where we are, we have the opportunity to share the gospel. What we have to do is look for the opportunity. Look for the opportunity. God, what would you have me to see in this situation, this situation, this situation? So look for it. Amen? So we're going to take just a minute. Catherine, do you mind coming up? So, you know, we, we have this small evangelist team that goes out. And the reports that they bring back with, you want to talk about changing direction and looking for God's direction. Amen. Hallelujah. A couple of weeks ago, we were down in Cass Corridor. We've been going there quite often. It's where the homeless people conglomerate. And we've been just blessing them and handing out 
different tracks and, and blessing them with hygiene products. And last week, a young man came up to us and he was wanting prayer and he was complaining of a back issue that he was having. So as we were talking to him about his back, he said, I can't hear you, I'm 100% deaf in this ear. So we began to pray and God restored not only his back, but his hearing and his eyesight was restored. Amen, amen, amen. amen. That's awesome. You know, I uh, regularly go to a particular gym, and, you know, you go to the gym to work out, right? <clears throat> so uh, a couple weeks ago I was there, and uh, this gentleman walked in who I'd seen, you know, many times, never talked to him, and he's in one of those boots that goes up around his foot and mm -hmm. up his calf. And, you know, I don't think anything of it and I keep doing what I'm doing and the Holy Spirit taps me on the shoulder and he says go pray for him so okay so that's what I do so I w went over and you know hi what's your name Mark Mark I'm Simon uh, what's up with your foot so what had happened was he had had some surgery on his foot that was supposed to fuse some bones uh, that never took and he had um, a couple of incisions that wouldn't close, wouldn't heal properly. And, and so the more he walked, they gave him this boot to try to get uh, some feeling back. The more he walked in it, the more his heel started to, to go numb. So I said to him, you know, Mark, I'm a, a pastor. Do you mind me praying with you? So I prayed over his foot, <coughs> asked God to heal his toes and his incision and bring back that, that feeling in, in, his, in his heel. And then I went about my own business. So then I saw him the next week, and we talked. And I said, so Mark, what's up with your, your leg? And he says, well, he says, the incision is healed. <laughs> he said, my heel has come back to, to life. You know, I can feel it. But the toes have not fused yet. So what do I do? I pray for him again, right? How many to know that there's, who knows in God's providence why he does what he does when he does it? Our job is simply to do that which we're called to do. So I prayed for healing for his foot. Okay? And then I saw him last week and asked him again, and his foot still was not back to where it was. So what did I do? I prayed with him again. So the point is, I'm going to pray with him every time I see him until God completely heals. Mm -hmm. Who knows what God is doing in his life, in that progressive healing to bring him to a particular point. Amen. You know, earlier in the year when I was still uh, driving to work and we were in the building before the COVID crisis, um, during my lunch hour, I'm very close to one of the malls in Troy, and so I ran to pick up a gift for a really good friend of mine. So I went into JCPenney's, and she's a bit of a scarf fanatic, so I headed over to that area in the women's department, and I was looking for a real beautiful scarf to get her to bless her. And I just kept feeling a little bit of a tug to head over into where all the jewelry cases are. Not where I at all would go because I know what her preference is and what she likes and what would be a blessing. But it occurred to me a couple of times and usually it takes me twice to respond. And so I went ahead and migrated over there. So I was just looking around and I thought, okay, God, maybe you want to minister to her and there's just a, a little trinket that I can pick up for her that will be a blessing. And so this woman about my age uh, walked over and she said, can I help you? And I said, hi, how are you doing today? And she said, well, I've been better, but I'm doing fine. She says, what can I do for you? And I said, well, I was just looking for a little trinket uh, for one 
one of my girlfriends, and I said, how come you could be doing better? And she stopped, and she said, well, you know what? She said, I had breast cancer, and she said, yesterday afternoon, I went back to the doctor, and it's back, and it's all over the place. And now I'm facing all this chemo, all this treatment, and she said, ugh. But anyway, she goes, what were you looking for, gold or silver? And I said, you know what? I said, I'm really sorry to hear that. It sounds like you've already been through a lot, and now you're facing yet another mountain. And she said, yeah, that's what it feels like. And I said, you know, I'm a minister. I would really love to pray with you. Can we do that? And she looked to the right and looked to the left, you know, checking the traffic. And she said, sure. So I reached my hands out, and I took her hands, and I just prayed for God's hope, his healing, his peace. I just cursed that cancer at the root, give this body strength to tolerate the treatment. God, let her know you love her, you're with her. Just prayed into her situation. And I opened my eyes, and she was crying, so I gave her a hug, and she said, that was beautiful. And I said, I'm going to continue to pray for you, and I'm going to come back. And I said, are you always here this time of day? And, and she said, yeah, I usually am. And so uh, she led me to a great little purchase that was on sale, blessing to me. Um, but on the way out, you know, I stopped, and I just said, thank you so much for your help today. And she said, no, thank you. And I said, do you know Jesus personally? And she said, well, you know, I've been to church, but not for some time. And I said, well, why don't you get to know him personally? And so I was able to lead her in the sinner's prayer and just be a blessing to her. And how many of you get more excited than the person, amen, that experiences a touch from God when he uses you? So I was so elated when I got in the car. I just cried because I thought, God, you're so good. You're so faithful to just meet your people and to love on them. Thank you that on occasion I actually hear and respond to you. That was such a treat and such a blessing. And I just prayed for her over those next three or four weeks until I just felt a peace and a release. And I know God did something in her life. And so we've really got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Now, mind you, we don't have to walk around glowing in the dark. We just have to be sensitive. Just listen. Just listen. Little tug, little tug. Oh, is that you, God? What can I do? What do you need me to do? Got me off track. Nothing I planned on doing during my lunch hour. I thought it was an in and out trip, right, to get a gift. But what a magnificent experience. God loves his people, and he wants to use us to love on them. Amen? Amen. So no matter where we are, share the good news. Amen? Acts 8.4 says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So the end result of the scattering, right, of, of this crazy persecution took place was that God was glorified beyond measure because the persecution simply served as a means of spreading the message of salvation. And it went to multitudes and multitudes of people. You know, it's easy to assume that those who left um, Jerusalem and who were scattered were formal preachers and priests and those, you know, and part of some of the religious organizations that were well studied. But the truth is they were actually just accidental missionaries. Amen. So say, God, I'm an accidental missionary. I'm an accidental missionary. Means by accident, impromptu, I'm ready to, to fulfill the mission. Amen. And so uh, they were just modest individuals. Uh, you know, in the Greek, it says they preached the word. But if you look at the translation, what are really says is they shared the good news. Mm -hmm. So they weren't preachers. They just talked about Jesus. They just shared Jesus. And we're just like those early Christians. Amen. We can share Jesus and what he's done for us with everybody and anyone who crosses our path. You know, most people do not come to know the Lord through televangelists, through preachers, uh, through those, you know, that are in the ministry. They come to know Jesus Christ through people like you and I. That is how the majority of people get saved, amen? So in every church, 
where the power of the Spirit of God resides, God will extend its borders. God doesn't want us to be a little gem in a jewelry box, amen? Mm -hmm. He wants us to sparkle for the world. So he will tear down those church walls and send us out abroad so that we can touch lives and that we can share the good news and the gospel, amen? Amen. So back to the story of Philip, he's been scattered, and now he's going to the Samaritans. Say Samaritans. Samaritans. So in Acts chapter 8, verses 5 to 8, we read, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing. Say hearing and seeing. Hearing and seeing. The miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, <coughs> excuse me, Crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. Say great joy. Great joy. So lesson number three, if you take notes, God will put you in uncomfortable positions because he is no respecter of persons. So the city of Samaria, 600 years previous to this event, the Assyrians had conquered northern Israel. And they had deported all of the wealthy, the middle class, the well-known Jews from that area. And they brought in a pagan population. And that pagan population then intermarried with the poor, the low-class people, the remaining Jews in northern Israel. And from these people grew the nation of Samaria. So this is northern Israel. Northern Israel was considered half-breeds by the Jewish nation, by those in, uh, in Judea, those in the southern part of Israel. Because they corrupted, they intermixed pagan worship with the worship of God. There was a deep-seated prejudice and there was a standing hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. So for example, in Luke chapter 9, James and John and the other apostles thought that the Samaritans were only good for receiving God's judgment. Jesus' experience with the woman at the well in John 4 and his story about the kindness of the Samaritan in Luke 10 confirmed that there was just this constant tension between Jews and Samaritans at that time. So after the Jews had rejected the gospel, we see God offering salvation to these very same Samaritans. Think about this now. <clears throat> Paul, excuse me, Philip, is thrust out and he's thrust out into this nation of what he would consider half-breeds. People that he wants nothing to do with. He's a devout Jew. And in those days, devout Jews would spend days of travel skirting around Samaria just so that they wouldn't have to cross the land. But the truth is, even though Philip would have been uneasy with his quote-unquote religious convictions... God had done a transforming work in his heart. And there was no room for prejudice of any kind in his heart or mind. So God knew. Yeah, that deserves a clap. Mm -hmm. Okay? Amen. God knew how to change direction in Philip's life and get him out of his comfort zone to see the work that God wanted to do. So think about this again. Philip is living in this notoriety in Jerusalem and all this comfort, and he gets thrust out into a culture that his nation despises. Yet he's willing to do what God wants him to do. God performs the miracles through him, and there's great joy in the city. 
And once again, Paul is in this position of receiving accolades, right? No doubt that one of the big reasons why Philip was able to preach to the Samaritans was because of the work that Jesus had done. It's for sure the woman, the, the well, in his story about the Samaritan, uh, the kindness of the Samaritans, and other, other stories and other things he did in Samaria, they would have gone through the nation. Yeah. So that nation was ripe for, for Philip receiving a harvest. So say this again with me, a change in direction. A change in direction. So not only was Philip put in a situation that made him uncomfortable, but Peter and John were as well. So listen to Acts 8. It says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't react to this the way they reacted to it because we know God wants everybody filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Mm -hmm. You see Bishop after, you know, every other service. If you don't speak in tongues, if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, come on down here, you're going to be today, right? So it's kind of commonplace for us. All of us are baptized in the Holy Spirit. But what you have to remember about Peter and John is they were devout Jews. So they didn't mix with Samarians. So this was amazing to them. And what they realized was that people other than Jews were also welcome in the kingdom. So this was a big deal, right? Mm -hmm. They also realized once again the Great Commission, which was sharing Jesus with all. Amen? So lesson number four is don't get so focused that you lose focus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Amen? Don't get so focused on what you're doing and where you're heading and where you knew to head some time ago or last season that you lose the greater focus mm -hmm. of what the mission is. You know, there's times where I remind myself, my calling on this earth is to worship God. My calling is to carry out the Great Commission, right? to you know, do deliverance when it's needed, to pray and intercede for people, to lead people to Jesus Christ, to try to shine right like a light in the darkness. That's my goal. So however that happens, I'm open to it and I'm ready even though I'm committed to this particular path. So we've just got to be flexible. Everyone say, God, I'm flexible. God, I'm flexible. So don't get so focused that you lose your focus. Acts 8.25 says, After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. In Galatians 2.8, Paul writes, For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. So we know that Peter's primary ministry was to the Jews, and we know that Paul's primary, primary ministry was to the Gentiles. Amen? So because Peter was an apostle to the Jews, it would have been acceptable and actually expected for him to say to John, now let's get back to Jerusalem and continue on our mission, ministering to the Jews, right? If he had done that, all of those thousands of Samaritans would have missed the opportunity to come to know Jesus Christ. So even though Peter was focused on the Jews, he hadn't forgot the larger focus or the big picture about sharing Jesus Christ. Amen? So he was willing and flexible. How many times have we thought, that person is so far out there, even God can't shake him up? 
Amen. How many of you have written off people because you think they're just, they are so against Christianity, they, they won't even look me in the eye, right? There, there's no way anybody can get to them unless God uses a lightning bolt, right? So maybe you have a boss that's out there. Maybe you've got a family member that runs their mouth about you. They get quiet when you walk into the room because they know you're a believer. No matter who it is in your life, God wants to reach them. And he probably wants to use you to do it, right? So we have to remember to walk in very strong love and forgiveness regularly so that we don't miss an opportunity. Amen? Our tendency is to stay clear of people like that, isn't it? Because yep. we know we offend them, and we know they get nasty with us. So we kind of try to stay away. But we just have to be strong in forgiveness and strong in love so that we're there in case. Amen? God wants to derail us. So Romans 12:18 says, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, as much as it's in you, God says, live peaceably with all men. We have to try to. We have to love them, and we have to encourage them. We have to let them see that regardless of where they're at, sharing Jesus is our focus. Amen? So I'm telling you, watch those relationships. Watch the sticky ones that you don't like, that you just stay away from, and that you try to not encounter unless you absolutely have to, because those sticky relationships are really the ones where God wants us to share Jesus. So be available. God wants to use them. So let's look at Philip now in the Ethiopian. Lesson five, an individual soul should be more important to us than big crowds. So say with me, an individual soul, an individual soul is more important to me, is more important to me than, big crowds. than big crowds. See, the impact is the same to God. You know, you never know. Uh, we used to laugh in deliverance seminar all the time because there's so much warfare around those seminars and people act crazy and you're trying to get these newcomers delivered and your ministers are acting crazy and it's just all kinds of fun, right? The week before the deliverance seminar and you can feel the pressure in the spirit, right? And we used to joke that, wow, the next Billy Graham must be in this group or the next Joyce Meyer must be in this group because when the warfare was particularly intense, we knew somebody was in that group of newcomers that was going to have a huge impact on multitudes and thousands. We could tell that if this person got set free, God was going to launch them to the nations, right? And so it's that same type of thing. That one could have greater impact than the 2,000 you think you need to be speaking in front of. Amen? So... Look at the impact on the one. So Acts 8, 26 through 40 says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road on the desert that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in a chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit of the Lord told Philip, go to the chariot and get close to it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot. He heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and he said to him, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, said the man, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from earth. 
The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who's the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus Christ. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's some water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And as he gave orders to stop the chariot, Philip and he got out, and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel and in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So let's set the picture here, okay? Philip has moved from this great notoriety in Jerusalem and then this great notoriety in Samaria. And now God is saying, I want you to move out of the spotlight. Okay? I, want, I don't want you talking to the masses, but I want you to approach one particular person. So put yourself in Philip's position again. You're preaching to the masses. Okay? And all of a sudden God says to drop it and go this way. What would you think? How would you feel? Right? Would you object to something like that? I think most of us would. You know, we're doing this great work for God. And I'm sure that something like that must have gone through Philip's mind. Okay? Yeah, there's a good way. I'm, I'm being demoted. You know what's going on here, right? <clears throat> but he knows that God has a plan and he knows that God has a purpose. And we've got to ask ourselves the same thing. Am I willing to put aside my desire for personal acclaim to minister to those God wants me to reach? So Philip is a front man in Samaria. Okay, He seems to be utterly indispensable. Yet at this moment of being indispensable is when God says to him, leave the area. <clears throat> if you and I heard... This type of a call, there's no doubt we'd be thinking, you know, what, now, God? Are you kidding me? You want me out of here? You want me to move in? And then we'd, we'd say that old saying, we'd say, get thee behind me, Satan, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because my word, after all, I'm doing this great work for God. So God calls him to leave this fruitful ministry, and where is he going to go? Into a desert area. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty foolish to me. Why would God send him into uh, a desert? Why would he send any one of us into such a desert area? Now, here's another thing to keep in mind. From between Jerusalem and Gaza, there's two roads. There's one road where everybody travels, and there's the road less popular through the desert. So not only does he get knocked down from ministry, not only does he have to go into the desert, now he's going down this road that is less traveled. I'm being attacked by I something know, I up here. <laughs> <laughs> it was what? Yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, that's what happened to him. So he's going down this, he's into this desert, he's going down this road less traveled, right? And he, he comes across this Ethiopian who is a proselyte. I'll explain that in a minute. And, and the gentleman's reading the Bible, which would have really astounded um, Philip at this time. 
So in, in the Bible times, Ethiopia was a lot bigger than it is today. It was a land where the Queen of Sheba came from when, uh, you know, when Solomon was around. And Solomon showed him all of, her, all of his glory and riches and wisdom. And she brought back a faith from Israel into her nation. And it's very possible that parts of the Jewish faith were passed down through the lineage. And so this Ethiopian now is reading the, the word. And maybe that's where he picked it up from was way back from uh, Solomon's day and, and the Queen of Sheba. So he's a noble man. He's on a noble search. And why he was called a proselyte, because he was somebody who wasn't a Jew by birth, but he converted to Judaism. So he's a successful man. Yet the trappings of this world, and hear me on this, the trappings of this world, the trappings of ministry, the trappings of everything that, that is physical, were not what he was after. He wanted some real spiritual answers. And I'm telling you, doesn't matter who is doing what on this earth, ultimately that's what everybody is looking for. Because we, we have what? The Bible says we have 70 years, 80 if God gives us good, good grace. Some of us will live in our 90s or 100s. But the point is, life on this earth is finite. And when it's said and done, we're going to head into an eternity, and eternity means forever. And everybody is going to face that, and everybody questions that at some point in their life. So this Ethiopian is reading the book of Isaiah. He's hungry for God's word. In those days, a scroll cost a lot of money. So he's willing to sacrifice in order to get God's word and to understand it. So lesson number six, if you're taking notes, write this down. Learn to do things afraid. So let's look at the bigger picture. The Ethiopian is very famous. He's very well-to-do. So he's surrounded by a great entourage. He has servants. He has soldiers. He has a personal driver. Philip leaves the masses where he's enjoying the success. He goes to the desert. God wants him to approach a chariot that has probably hundreds of people around it, okay? And, and there's no doubt, Philip comes running out of nowhere. All those spears would have been out, all those <laughs> bows and arrows, everything would have been pointed at him. So there's no doubt fear would have struck his heart. These men were ready to kill him because he came out of nowhere and they wanted to do what? Protect their master. So Philip has to suck up his courage and he has to go to this Ethiopian because this is what God wants him to do, right? <clears throat> How many of us have been in a position where we have been surrounded by people who we felt inferior to? Maybe it was bosses at work or, or who knows, but you were in that situation where you just felt inferior to those around you. And you feel the little nudge of God tapping you on your shoulder in your spirit and say, say something here. Do something here, right? And yet we don't. We clam up because our inferiority complexes, our, our insecurities, they talk louder than the Holy Spirit does to us. I've been in that situation. I remember a few years back when I was still at Ford, I had an office 
and attached to another office and the doors open between them and the guys in the other room they were joking and laughing around and and they brought up a couple of names of of uh, christian friends of mine and and they started ridiculing them and the holy spirit taps me on his shoulder and he says are you gonna sit here guess what i did i sat there because i allowed my fear of what they would think of me to be more important than what God wanted to do. We've all been there, right? So the point is it takes, it, it takes courage to step out. It takes courage for the, the evangelistic team to go out there. And there's only a few of them who are brave enough to go out or courageous enough to go out. And back to this situation, Philip has to pull on his courage to approach the, the chariot. Right, And to his surprise, he finds this Ethiopian reading the book of Isaiah out loud. And I'm sure at this point, Philip would have sighed, uh, you know, a sigh of release and thought, okay, okay, I'm not nuts here. I did hear God. Something is going on. God is something up to something here. Mm -hmm. Amen. So a few insights from that passage. The first is that one of our greatest jobs related to sharing the gospel with others is simply to pray for open doors. Every morning, God, I thank you that I'm sensitive to your prompting. I thank you for opportunity today, for open doors. And God, I will walk through them in Jesus' name. Pray for open doors and then stay alert. Amen. The second is that Philip was effective in what he did because he knew how to flow with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm -hmm. He wasn't led or didn't give priority, I should say, to his impulses and his desires, but he just went with the flow. God, wherever you take me, if this is supposed to be a conversation, if this isn't, if I'm supposed to turn here instead of turn there, I'm just going with the flow today. So every morning, God, I'm going with the flow of your Holy Spirit today. It's also fantastic when we get revelation, amen, when we're studying the word on our own during our prayer devotional time, but there's a place and a purpose for teachers in and out of the body of Christ. And God used Philip to teach, amen, to that Ethiopian to bring understanding and revelation. So be prepared. Make sure you understand scripture. Make sure you understand, you know, the gospel message yourself so that you can share it in your own words and connect with somebody. You know, there's people that are just brilliant speakers and I just sit in awe of them. I think, my word, they're so dynamic and charismatic when they speak. But you know what? There's doors I can walk through that they couldn't because I'm more plain of speech because I'm more casual or use more slang or because I'm a woman. So we have to appreciate our uniqueness and our differences. Don't try to explain things like Bishop does. Explain them how you understand them because those are the people God's going to put in your path. They're going to understand it from you and they're going to receive it from you. Amen? Philip's preaching consisted of two things, explaining who Jesus was and what he did. Mm -hmm. And that is the gospel message. Yep. He was the Lamb of God, and he was led to the slaughter. He was the Messiah, and he was crucified for you and for me. So when you are sharing with somebody, that's all you need. Who's Jesus, and what has he done for you? Mm -hmm. And when you deliver that message and share it, they're going to hear it. Amen? 
you know, too many preachers today focus on what we have to do. And how many of you would still say you're breaking the back of that works mentality in your life? I've been pounding on that thing for 55 years, and it still shows up every now and then, trying to earn God's love, right? Trying to be about his business, trying to serve in every area, in every capacity, till you're exhausted and get sick and can't, right? I think it's just part of that carnal nature is to want to earn, right? But our focus should really be on what God's done for us not what we're doing for him. Amen? That's the grace, right? That's the grace. So we see Philip take time to teach and to talk to this Ethiopian. And we see that he baptizes him and that he changes direction. But what shows that the Ethiopian truly developed faith in God is that after Philip was kind of taken away, right, supernaturally, it says the Ethiopian was so joyful and full of joy because his faith was in God, not Philip. Amen? So we know there was a true conversion. So last lesson, lesson seven, one person can lead to thousands of saved souls. Mm -hmm. One person can lead to thousands of saved souls. It's our job to plant the seed. The Holy Spirit waters it, and we may or may not see the harvest. We just have to do our part, but you never know what it could lead to. You may get to heaven one day and God will say, you see those thousands? That's because of that one gentleman that you witnessed to and prayed for. We have no idea the exponential impact of our works, right? So it may seem strange that, you know, God would send Philip to share Christ with one person, but then we see the entire Ethiopian church was birthed out of the one small, short teaching and baptism of this eunuch, mm -hmm. the whole Ethiopian church. It also proved that the roots of the Coptic church came from this exact incident. Isn't that amazing? Entire denominations and church movements and believers across two huge nations came from one encounter and Philip being willing to just derail for a minute and follow that prompting of the Holy Spirit. So say a change of direction. A change of direction. Now in Acts 8.40, Philip says he appeared in Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So Azotus is a Jewish and Roman name for the city of Ashdod. So this tells us that Philip came full circle, right, and wound up back in Judea. But most of us would probably say, wow, that was incredible. And we'd start sharing with our family and our friends all of our journey all the details, all the, you know, signs and wonders and healings that took place. And we would take a deep breath and do some laundry and put our feet up, right? But not Philip. Philip had no intention of resting. He got right back out, took another change of direction, headed on a journey, and went right back to Judea and Samaria. And eventually he comes to Caesarea. Why is that important? Because Caesarea was one of the largest Roman ports. There was a palace there. Uh, Caesar had named it, and it was Gentiles. Amen? Mm -hmm. And so Philip wound up going right back out into the field. And he realized the Great Commission, right? Go ye into all the world and what? Preach the gospel to who? Every creation. Amen. Amen. So, Pastor, come on up. So, in closing here, say with me a change of direction. A change of direction. Say, I am open. I am open. To a change of direction. To a change of direction. Say with me, God. God. Every day. Every day. I am open. I am open. To a change of direction. To a change of direction. And nobody say, oh, my. <laughs> Amen. How many of you have been feeling uncomfortable? Things aren't working like they were before. Uh, you feel off kilter, out of sorts, aren't sure what's going on. 
It's on purpose, amen? God's changing our direction. He's got something for us. He needs us. So this is the time to say, okay, God, I'm going to step back from what's really uncomfortable and strange to me right now, and I'm just going to get alone with you and say, where do you need me? What are you doing? Because, God, I want to participate in it. I want to be part of it. And I'll tell you something. When that fear comes up in situations like Dr. Simon shared, and you feel the anointing, but that hesitancy is so great because of the rejection you may experience, you know what my little trick is? If it's about me, I ignore it and I forge ahead. If it's about something else or someone else, then I may hesitate. But when it's about me and something I may suffer, I don't care. So I'm going to go ahead and share it. I'm going to go ahead and pray. I'm going to go ahead and, and try to lead somebody to Jesus Christ. I'm going to go ahead and witness because it's just me. And I care more about him than me. Amen. And so it's a good little sense check to do when you're feeling intimidated. Is this about me? Yeah, I'm worried they're going to reject me. So and go ahead and do it anyway. <laughs> Amen. How many know that God opens doors of opportunities in very unlikely places? Amen. So the truth is, we can't be so narrow-minded to think that God is limited in how he wants to reach people who don't know him. We can't be so afraid of our situations, of the people that we're around, and, and, and look, as uh, Dr. Trish is saying, look at ourselves and allowing that fear to grab a hold of us, right? Never, ever, 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 ever forget that every individual you cross paths with is a soul. And there is nothing more precious to God than reaching that soul through each one of us. Amen. Perhaps you're hearing this for the first time and you've, you've never thought about God taking you in a different direction. The first direction that God wants to change is the direction of our heart. So if you'll Bow your heads and repeat this after me. Dear God, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that he died for me. I believe that he died for and me. And for my sin. And for my sin. And that you raised him for life. And for that life. you raised him to life. Jesus. Jesus. I trust you as my savior. I trust you as my savior. And I accept you as my Lord. And I accept you as my Lord. From this day forward. From this day forward. Give me a new direction. Give me a new direction. As I give you my life. As I give you my life. Help me to do your will. Help me to do your will. And I pray this and in I Jesus' name. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've said that prayer for the very first time or if you've rededicated your life, please come and see us. Uh, up front, there'll be our baskets if you've come up late for, for tithes and offerings. There are refreshments out to the right. Uh, we will be here for prayer. Ministers, please come up uh, and pray with us. Uh, please, everybody, respect social distancing, whether it be at the prayer, whether you're out and about. Just respect social distancing. We're, we're hearing so many news stories now about COVID climbing again. But we can't be afraid of a COVID climate, amen? Our God is bigger than that. So come on back tonight. We've got a message called The Aftermath. God bless your, your afternoon, and, and just remember, God might give you a change of direction this afternoon. <laughs> amen. God bless you. We love you. Have a wonderful afternoon. <laughs>